0: There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 959. Katie, now I see that you're holding a device in your hand, and you are looking what I assume is the digital corkboard.
2: I sure am.
1: Of the ID10T formerly Nerdist community. Uh, so if someone, let's say, wanted to email an event or something that they wanted to promote to corkboard at ID10T.com, what you're doing right now is looking at the product
2: I am. Of I'm those looking at the emails. emails they sent me.
1: We are reading the exact emails. So <laughs> yes. what are people doing who listen to this podcast?
2: Ryan Dortch writes, like most people, I've heard you for years telling people to make a thing. Well, I didn't make a thing, but my wife did. She started a kid's clothing line called Adam and the Bear. I know I am biased, but the clothes are super cute and very durable. I'm so proud of the work she has put into it. Uh, the website is adamandthebear.com. So check it out. And then uh, this person didn't write their name, but they said my best friend is trying to open a community center in Lompoc, California with an emphasis on all things gaming in an effort to give kids something to do and to get them off the streets and have fun at the same time. The city is asking for a lot more money than he anticipated, so he started a GoFundMe and it's GoFundMe.com slash Meta Game Arcade for more info or to donate.
1: Fantastic Katie, well done uh this episode is rachel bloom who is uh whom I adore, who i am so excited by you know Rachel's just someone who just makes stuff, she yeah. just make a thing, she makes several things. She's so funny. She's such a great writer, an incredible performer, musician. Um, obviously, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a like thing.
2: one of the best shows ever and, on television. <laughs> and
1: she's also promoting her movie, Most Likely to Murder, which is available on digital, DVD, and on demand right now. Right now. Follow her. Watch her. Love her. Appreciate her. This episode is sponsored by Mattress Firm. Um, if you're uh, maybe struggling getting to sleep, because I don't know, maybe the... Maybe the world is just a a toxic sludge that just spins around in your brain, in the hamster wheel of your brain, over and over and over and over again. Maybe a mattress could help you. A better mattress could improve your night's sleep. So Mattress Firm, America's Neighborhood Mattress Store, is going to help you stretch your budget a little bit further. They're going to help you improve your sleep, not only with just mattress experts, but they can help you build your bed from your headboards to adjustable bases to sheets and decor, whatever they have you covered. Go to MattressFirm.com and save 10% with the code PODCAST10, PODCAST and the number 10, through June 5th. Mattress Firm offers a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Go to mattressfirm.com. Learn how your sleeping could be tremendously improved. Thank you for Mattress Firm sponsoring this episode of the ID10T podcast, which is episode number 959. I love the ones that have a little palindromic symmetry to them. Yep. 959. Uh, This is Rachel Bloom. Katie will roll the thing momentarily. And here it goes. It's about to get rolled. I feel it a-coming. Katie, are you ready to roll that thing? Sure am. Okay, get ready. Here it comes. And what if this was the whole podcast, just an hour of this? (laughs) And roll it. Initiating ID10T Protocol.
0: Should exist where the kids live because like comedy should be cheap and comedy should be able for you know younger people and so like there's more young people in Highland Park and so there's all these kids now going to these improv shows at that space. Oh, thank you.
2: If this isn't
1: strong enough, I can throw another shot. I with promise you, it
2: will be strong enough. This is great. I know, and I guess it'll. It's all for the best, theoretically. I just, I guess. I, I also, where people? Well, you said the school's still around. I just. And is it the groundlings that charges you fucking? Yeah. $600 to learn how to wear a wig.
0: But, uh, and, you know, a lot of the iOS people tried to go to, uh, they tried to start their own little spot at the Acme. Yeah.
2: And, oh, yeah. On La yeah. yeah. And then, it's like, it,
0: like they, like, had people signing up for classes, and then they sent an email, they're like, it's not going to work out.
1: What's that there? used to be a good spot. Like, Acme, yeah. and then the Farfalla next door had a place called Room 5 above That's it. That's right. And there that. were great... There was a great there were just great stand up shows up in room five, just that little attic bar. I, yeah, I
0: did it a few times
1: um, but it's funny to me that the comedy scene in Los Angeles has for the longest time it was all independent shows, and now a lot of the independent shows have gone away, and the clubs are now flourishing right so we're just in a constant we're just in a constant cycle of. I,
0: I think they're they're everywhere though now. I mean, you know, it's uh, there's like every bar seems to have a comedy night. Every, yeah. You know, now that iOS, like we were saying, because now there's like improv shows popping up at bars. That was never really the case before. Yeah,
1: but if I don't see it, then it doesn't. Then it, you know, like that's right. Because that, okay. I'm, I'm of the internet age. Yes. So If I don't yeah. see stuff, then yeah, it's then it's you not, not really there. We're using
2: something... the second coaster. I just no, want yeah, sure, to sure. ruin your. Work.
1: Yeah, something like that. We're definitely in an age of like people think that the way that they see stuff is how it. Like, cause I, we just, we were at the, um, the, uh, the Infinity War premiere and Lydia had this really great dress on and press lines are weird. As you know, they feel weird. You mm-hmm. don't know what to do and they'll go, okay, let's get a solo shot of Lydia. I'm like, okay. So you just kind of stand there. Everywhere
2: you are, I see them getting, I mean, she's, she looks amazing. She, she looks wears, a- she wears clothes like no one else.
1: It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I kind of did this, I always have for years have done some kind of dumb presentational thing or some kind of just something off to the side or I photo armor cause I just feel like an idiot. And uh, and so I posted. All these people are like doing the Will Smith, huh? I'm like, what are what you talking about? So he like, oh, this. he's done it a few times, and so everyone thinks like I'm ripping him. Like, I don't. Just because you saw, I know he's more famous, <laughs> but that doesn't. I didn't see him do it. Does he do it to Jada Pinkett Smith? Yes, 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 nice. yes, yes. That's it is nice. Yeah, they've been together a long time.
2: I, I don't know. I have very. I, I've been thinking lately. I just have very little respect for. Are we recording? Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say something that would have made some people unhappy. Never married. Oh boy, what a seamless transition!
1: That was that was great.
2: What else did I say? <laughs> good, well, we
1: talked about. Oh, here, here's what I'll tell you that we talked about, and we can cut it out if you know if you don't want any of this in. We were talking about all the comedy, and then you said, "Oh, I don't want to pay six hundred dollars to Groundlings to so just put on wigs." <laughs>
2: I'll stay I'll stick with that
1: Okay Yeah,
2: yeah. (laughs) I mean I'm sure The Groundlings is is good But I just They charge so much money And then if you If you don't get into Their what Sunday company You get one chance And then you get like Excommunicated Mm -hmm.
1: Oh really Yeah. Yeah it's
2: It's not like UCB has Is not flawless But with UCB If you don't get on A Herald team Or a Mod team Which has many more Opportunities than Groundlings does You have other ways to explore your comedy. I mean, I consider myself a UCB person and I was rejected every time I auditioned for a Herald team or a mod team or submitted a writing packet. But if you do groundlings, you spend years of your life paying a lot of money and you get very good. But then like if you get ousted from a company or you don't get in, it's like, that's it for you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I know some, I, I don't know if it's still like this, but for the longest time, part of the problem was, um, that if you were in the Sunday company and you were trying to get into the main company, You could only get into the main company, if I understand this correctly, if someone vacated their spot, which was very rare. Yes. And so there were people who, even though they didn't perform – that much at all would not vacate, they would not give up their spot. Jeez. But then you had to be like unanimously voted into the spot, so everyone had to vote you in. So it was very hard for people. There just was not a lot of like you'd get to the Sunday company. A lot of people were like, Well, fuck I can't,
2: it was very political. I yes. could be,
1: yes, very, I could be here for years and never make it into the main company. Yeah, well,
2: and it's also unfair because I saw a show. I have friends who do groundlings, so apologize to anyone who does groundlings that's listening. Uh, I can insult UCB too, it's a bunch of um. Yep. Emotionless. Uh, <laughs> it's a bunch of emotionless, cerebral guys who uh, who hit on you with their eyes askance, yeah. um, and uh, and uh, and instead of giving you good improv notes, tell you how they would have done the scene. That was, so that was there's my
0: favorite part of UCB. Yeah. Yeah. Instead
2: of being like, "Oh well, I just felt like the scene," well, the way I would have done it is the premise of this scene is clearly yeah. that your dick is God. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah. Like, I remember one time a guy. Uh, one time and it's a- like, is that
2: the premise because i thought that we were having a really emotional scene about a divorce no the game should have been your dick is god i'm white yeah it was
0: like i remember one time a teacher said uh, what you should have done was blah 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 and i was like don't you mean what i could have done like isn't that what you should be saying is uh there's options and none of them are right you know i've
2: dated a couple of those people let me tell you i dated this no i dated this one guy who name names no no absolutely not who's that type and this is when I was very young And, and I, I did a sketch show And he was a couple years my senior And he was in a slight position of authority And, and I asked him What do you think of my sketch? And he went I mean it was a sketch No one can say it wasn't a sketch Oh wow And Shit. I was like Oh I'm sorry you want to and you want my pussy after that? <laughs> and then I had very low self-esteem, so I was like, here's my pussy. <laughs> I thought
0: That's why you respect me,
1: because I tell it like it is.
2: Yeah, because I tell oh, it. Oh, the old
1: tell it like it is people. Like, yeah. hey, if you can't handle Truth Town. Yeah. Like, well, you know, there are different ways to. Truth Town doesn't have to be filled with severe tire damage to not back up spikes. <laughs> it could be in feelings County. Truth Town can be, like, there are also ways where you can communicate with people like, hey, this is great. I really like this and this and this. You know, have you thought about, can you, you know, like, what about this? Or can you think about this? But not, but th- there, there's a very clear way where people, and, and this is a very internet thing too, where people have to remind you that they are superior to you and that you are you know like you are subservient to them yeah. and they're better than you and that's just not a great way for people to learn that's not a great way yeah. for anyone to have a conversation or exchange information or or understand each other you don't have to like everything no. but you, but they but it's just people don't understand it's like oh we're supposed to kiss everyone's ass no but just you know, trying to communicate in a in a human... Like, the goal should be understanding. It the goal should faci- be conversation. Yes, it
2: doesn't facilitate creativity. Or I mean, learning,
1: because then it's going to make you get really skittish about, oh, fuck, now I'm in a place yeah. where I'm scared yeah. to say anything because I don't want to get shit on. That when you're, you're in survival of mode, yes. you can't...
2: Actually, I think it was on the, the... the When you guys had Vince Gilligan on the writer's podcast. I think uh-huh. you had him on the Nerdist Writer's panel. Yeah. And he was talking about how he runs his room very openly and, and gave an example of... Uh, he was like, you know, we we run things in a very kind way because you don't want that lizard brain to take over and people yes. can't pitch freely. And mm-hmm. he said it was right before lunch. They were like, oh, God, it was like, a, you know, the guy's head is on a tortoise. And someone was like, what if the tortoise exploded? And they said it just freely. And they were like, oh, shit, that's a really good idea. And when you're in a competitive space, because I've been in these rooms and you feel locked up, you can't say shit like that mm-hmm. for fear of getting ridiculed and that's how you then it's snake eats tail because then you only encourage people in comedy who are competitive with their jokes and who think, well, this is how you should have done the scene. Right. Because they're the only people who they thrive off of competition because they're, you know, making up for some sort of trauma. Yes. I mean we're all making up for no one is who's an artist is like a (laughs) hundred percent (laughs) happy.
1: There's definitely someone deep inside that they are in service to or something that they are in service to because the concept of getting up to seek the approval of strangers is a weird thing to do. Yeah. Like, it's just an odd thing to do, and it's beautiful. I love it, but, you know, I, I, the, the, but if I were super well-adjusted, it probably would never occur to me to do it. Yeah. It yeah. just wouldn't. But it, exactly what you're saying is why, you know, there was a version of At Midnight that was super roasty and super aggressive, and I never wanted it to be that because people are their fun- – I think people are their funniest – when they are relaxed and they feel comfortable and they can take risks and they yeah. feel you know, they feel supported and so i i always wanted the i always wanted that show that panel to feel as friendly as possible so that you know we'd say like if a joke doesn't fly then we can cut it out or if we can make it funny somehow but you know we're not gonna we're not gonna make you look fucking stupid like that's not our goal and yeah. i feel like that idea of like this should be fun you know like gets people into their best creative zone
2: you know it was a really nice environment because i remember the first time i did it i was with seth and i think breckett uh uh, for robot chicken i was terrified because i was also just a writer on robot chicken with two famous people and i was like oh god i'm gonna have to like make up jokes on the floor oh my god what am i gonna do and it was a really nice environment where like you, I when you go into those type of intimidating things, you go in almost preparing to fail. You're like, well, I'm going to suck. And <laughs> that's the way it is. And it, yeah, it's 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 nice when you feel welcomed into an unfamiliar space.
1: Well, yeah, because it 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 sucks to not feel welcome. Because like you said, you don't, you're not your best creative self because you're sort of operating from when you're operating from a place of fear. Oh my God! I don't look stupid. Fuck. Oh dear. You know. Then you're just never. You're just never gonna be. You're never gonna be present. Yeah. You're never gonna be connected to everything. And or your impulses. Yeah. I mean, your lizard
2: brain is. I mean, I feel it when I'm scared, and I'm also very afraid of people, and I'm very afraid of getting made fun of uh, because I'm that person. But when that happens, I feel like there's a lion in the bushes. Uh, I have to fight that lion, and I'm just in survival mode, and so creativity is the furthest thing from my mind.
1: Right. Where you need to be open and free, and to be able to pull from everything. Yeah. Uh, are you, do Do you do any, are you still doing any stuff at UCB, or any live stuff?
2: Yeah, I mean, I try to, well, lately I've been doing a lot of stuff, because we did Crazy Ex-Girlfriend right. Live, but I try to do, I do the occasional improv show at UCB, and I mean, I'm super rusty, but every time I do it, I'm like, I should be doing more of this. Yeah. Uh, and I'll do I'll usually do like a guest spot on the occasional alt in the occasional alt space. You know, mm-hmm. I'll do rarely, but I'll still do it. Like I'll do ten minutes. You know, at at hot tub or super serious right. show where I'll do. I have stand up hits that go into certain songs, but Crazy X just takes up so much of my time. I, I go into a hole for six months.
1: And, and are, where are you in that hole right now?
2: We're just, We only had one meeting for season four, which will be our final season. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, we only ever wanted to do four seasons. Really? Yeah. We just kind of wanted to make one long 50-something hour movie. Yeah. <laughs> and and any show, I don't think I can name a show that you're like, you know where it really got good? Season 8. Yeah. <laughs> There's no show like that. Every show starts going to shit. And this show doesn't sustain itself past four seasons unless they want to split our fourth into two, Breaking Bad style.
1: Yeah, <laughs> which, you know... That was.
2: It's a nice way to cheat it. Also, we're network, so we've done thirteen episodes. When you think about cable shows that are doing eight episodes or whatever, yeah. then maybe they can extend a little further, but it's hard.
1: But you had you had a specific story that you wanted to tell, yeah. and you're well. That's kind of nice, and I think it's also generous to the fans who, because you, you don't want them to be like, uh they're just phoning it in now because you're in yeah. a place where you go. I don't know what else to say or do, so we're just grasping at straws at this point. Exactly,
2: where you don't, you can, and you can sense it where a show has hit its peak and or, and where it's spinning its wheels. Like the audience is smart, you can feel that. And I never wanted to do that. Let
1: me just, and also let me just uh, pile on some more uh, good feeling on oh. what you're saying in terms of. But but I'm gonna relate it back to me, so I apologize. So don't. Well, sure. It's not that generous. But uh, but we did four seasons of At Midnight, and mm. we kind of were at a place where like I don't know what else to do with the show. And when we finished it, I didn't think anyone was gonna care. And still, people are like, "Oh, I missed that show." Whereas if we had done five, six, seven seasons, maybe they would have been like, "Are you still doing? What the fuck? Are you yeah. still?" Doing? So mm-hmm. my point is that it does go back to you in the sense that when you finish for the rest of your life probably people are going to go oh my god i you i think you want people to always want a little bit more yes. you don't yeah. want them to be like yeah i know i get it you know so yeah. it's 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 a fun i think it'll be a nice thing for you because i think you will be so touched at how long people will say I miss your show Please I wish it would come back I wish you would do another season
2: And it's good Because then when I'm 50 years old and um, Or you know 55 or something And no one wants to hire me uh, Because uh, they don't want to fuck me anymore <laughs> What and happened I'm, And I'm out of ideas uh, I don't know man It was bad I was just trying to think What's the age where people start to really turn on women uh, You know we can, always, we can always bring it back <laughs> Yeah you're right That's a good point <laughs> <laughs> that's seven-year-old. <laughs> I can't fap to her. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. That's the internet, my friend. That is the internet. That's the male fucking gaze. Like, we talk about all this shit and... Oh, man, I've had a long day of press, so I'm a little punch drunk, but I don't care. The, the, the male gaze. whether guys... Most guys have good intentions, but they still see the world, gay or straight, with the lens of, can I fuck it? Mm-hmm. And that's... What the male gaze is, and until we really fully acknowledge that, I mean, that's why we need. Oh, you mean as many the male gaze,
1: like not male, like gay, gay males.
2: males. No, <laughs> although I do call the male gaze, I refer to that as the way gay <laughs> men sometimes see women, right. like all of Sex you mean in the G-A-Z-E City. G-A-Z-E.
1: G-A-Z-E. The yes, male yes. gaze
2: yeah, is yeah. within this lens, and I think couched in terms sometimes like likable, right, relatable, threatening, friendly. Mm-hmm. What that means is just like, oh, can. This girl's smart, but would she still fuck me? Right. There's a little bit of that. Right. And so I'm just staring at two men right now. <laughs> I'm no, trying not it, be, yeah. I'm I trying to not know, be threatening. I, I
1: know how we are. <laughs> 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 Very aware. It's no. terrible sometimes. Yeah, but it, but it but it also you know where it hampers where it hampers creativity and where it creates boundaries that then you have to work around for stuff that's just like, hey, can we not? It, in a way, it almost feels hacky like this again do we really need to fucking deal with this again yeah. can we not just fucking be comedy people can we not just you know yeah. like can you can we not just appreciate comedy as a whole and just sort of take that stuff out of it
2: but i think that and this is, goes back to I think this is people at I'm every so theater. You're so
1: woke, you guys. Yeah, oh my god, you're
2: so woke. <laughs> we're so oh so my fucking god. woke. Good for you, white
1: wokeaholic up here.
2: Cisgender.
1: Yeah, you know I've oh, had eight. Hey, yes. You
2: might so. as well be a black woman.
0: You're so woke. <laughs> well, you know, everyone. We got white privilege, but this, with so with that comes so much white guilt,
1: and yeah. it just it's, it's yeah. really yeah. hard a for us. Oh. A yeah, it's really hard for us.
2: Um, oh, what was <laughs> I gonna fucking say? I was gonna say
1: <laughs> we were talking about how. Oh. It, taking that out of the... and leveling the play. Oh,
2: yeah. The idea of there are some people out there who you can sense comedy was their way of the only way they could dominate other people. And it's not about the love of the game. And it's not about the love of collaboration. It's how can I use jokes to assert my dominance? And you get that everywhere. More so in the stand-up community. Mm -hmm. But you definitely get that in improv and sketch too. And it's just such a bummer.
1: It is a bummer. It's also a bummer for me when I encounter those people because... I always know – you can always tell right away when it's happening where you're like, oh, you're trying to shake me off a riff. Yeah. I get You're trying to riff over me to see if I can keep up. Like, do we need to yeah. – can we just talk? Like, do we have to do – do we have to, like, immediately play the yes and game so you can decide whether or not you respect me? <sighs> like, I can keep up with you. Like, oh, I don't, yeah. we don't need to do this. Or even if I can't, then we could still just have a conversation.
2: Right. Oh right! You're bringing me back to so many conversations that are like (laughs) gross. Well,
1: that's just sort of the bummer competitive side. Like I think there there is a healthy competition which is good, where you are inspired by other people to do better. Yeah, where you go, wow, they're doing that, so I want to try to figure out how to like raise the stake, like raise the game on this side. That's I think that's healthy competition, and the unhealthy competition is like I must destroy all others to be like, there is no number one comic. Like comedy is too subjective. There's no, you're never gonna, you're never gonna be like the god of comedy because it's not possible. Yeah. That's what
2: always bothers me about any, any time. I mean, w- women being the the broadest example of every time there's a new successful woman. Like I'm sure when Amy Schumer hit, it, there were articles that were like, move over Tina Fey. And yeah, it's right, like, right, why right. does Tina Fey have to move over? Right, there's, yeah. There isn't right. this finite bench of comedy where someone has to leave the bench, we can all be, have women, we can all have vaginas and be funny in different and unique ways and maybe some ways that overlap, but like, it's not a competition. It's not It's not one-to-one or binary like that. Right. And the people I've noticed who fall prey to this a lot are comedians, but also actors. There's a brand of actor who, they're considered funny in like the acting or more specifically like the theater community and then when they actually get around real funny people... They're the worst because <laughs> they because they've been comedy adjacent their whole life mm-hmm. and so they suddenly get really, really insecure and they fire but I once worked with this actor who you can tell everyone had told him, oh my God, you're so funny, you're so funny, you're so funny and he basically, when he felt like he wasn't the funniest person in a room, he would resort to jokes that like a sixteen-year-old would tell. He would yeah. tell like a dead baby joke. Mm-hmm. He would tell a bunch of like AIDS jokes, like really sophomore. Just like
1: oh, yeah, that's the that's the I'm gonna misbehave because I'm gonna get attention at any yeah cost. Yes. Exactly. So if, if so, if you're not gonna love me, I'm gonna knock the vase yeah. over on the table. It, it,
2: exactly. Because yeah. well, I'm usually the I'm usually the right. the, the funny so, guy. So now
1: mm-hmm. I'm just gonna get a reaction. Yes. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah I've met I've met a couple actors like that, and I just. I think when I was younger, I probably would have been like, "All right, let's go, let's go, let's go toe to toe, let's sure. see how this shakes out." And now I just kind of shut down. I'm like, I just don't. Yeah. It's fine. You you get the floor. I don't. It's fine, fine, right? Fine. It, you great, good, good for you. You were the loudest. You know,
2: this like, person during the, the, this uh, person during during like uh, when they were on set, um, they would they got so like insecure not being funny um he would he would just make make sounds he'd be like bah! Uh, and be like bah, 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 bah. just to
1: pull just to grab just the attention just to pull
2: focus and it was so fucking
1: weird yeah
2: and it, and you would hear he would just kind of stamp randomly and stop and he would interrupt takes it was so it was like a child acting out so weird and you are yeah. and you're
1: like almost in, in a way if it wasn't infuriating as much as it is you'd want to just sit down and be like what's going on like what's like what's let's really let's talk about what's going on and they'd be, that, be like
2: yeah, but... <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and then he'd he'd just melt like the wicked yeah yeah, yeah exactly
0: but those people even like exist like, even non-performing people like writers rooms I, I've seen that happen where you know uh, a guy comes in and he like needs to make himself known comes in and go bah, bah, oh. and then, and then someone <laughs> starts to like pitch and then they start kind of drumming on the table <laughs> and then once they're done with their pitch they'll do a thing where they and I've seen this in a couple different writers rooms they'll stand up and go yeah yeah I'll Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Like there's no reason. They're not even in charge, but they have to let everyone know that they're there and then they're thinking about it more probably than anybody else. Well, there's
1: a yeah, <clears throat> there's also another type of person in a writers' room that's sort of like uh sort of like the attack drone where when someone throws out a joke if it's not, you know, if it's like a decent joke but not amazing. Yeah, oh, that was that. my ah. my
2: that, yeah, that was my first my first writers' room was I was I came in very insecure and I was the only girl and the youngest. And I remember I would tell a joke and i would see it was bombing so then i would kind of fade into mm-hmm. myself and there were one or two guys in the room who would just be like, and she's gone, Ugh. you know? Ugh. Shit like that. One time I came in with a knit hat that I like. They were like, hey, nice hat, Rachel. <laughs> hey, uh, you want to loan us your hat so we can all wear the hat? I don't know. I'm not doing the bit well right now because uh, I feel it back secure. to kindergarten because these are
1: kindergarten grade taunts. Yeah. These are kindergarten grade taunts, folks. That's not, <laughs> maybe not entirely necessary. But, you know, you, I will say that for all of that, you plowed through it.
2: <laughs> sure. I really haven't been that like oppressed. I think I came in real hot and angry. Cause, uh, I'm tired, but I really, I've had a good life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's great too,
2: guys. Did I mention I just, that? I just mostly had a good life. I just, yeah, I, just really no one, fun. No one's, I mean, when I hear some of these stories coming out with like me too, where it's like, Oh yeah, this guy pushed me against a wall and said, if you, you know, if you want to be in this sketch, you have to suck my dick. No one's no, 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 no. no. that's, that has not happened to me. And, and, uh, I have worked with mostly wonderful people.
1: Yeah, but also, I mean, I know, you know, I know because of some of the themes on the show and I know you've talked about anxiety, I know you've talked about depression a lot and, and actually Trevor Moore was just on and I didn't know that he uh, he has OCD and we talked a lot about oh. OCD and he was very, he was very open about it and the reason that I think it's great that you talk about the stuff and address that stuff is because it it's not, um, none of it's even though the title of the show is crazy, go none of it's crazy. Like it's yeah. like, and, and I think part of the reason, I think there was a lot of that stuff that was just undiagnosed for so many years. But I also think that because of the nature of how much information our brains are trying to process at all times now, I think um, we are feeling a lot more of these things, and it's just very normal. And, and the more normal conversations we have about it with people, the more people go, "This is just a thing. It's fine. It's, I can talk about it. I'm not a broken piece of shit. Yep. It, everything's. You know what? This is just something I can manage. I can. I can live with it.
2: That's a good point. I mean, that's what's comforting to me about labels like OCD or anxiety or depression. Is it is, is for me? It puts a label and puts a almost a community. <laughs> On feelings that I had in the past that I thought I was the only one who had them. Right. Um, when I turned nine, uh, I'll never forget. It was some other stuff was going on, but I. it was the night before fourth grade started and I stayed up all night thinking about the things I'd been obsessing over and worried about. And that was the night my – what I now realize to, I think, be OCD really came into focus. And I spent four or five years in – This weird looping thought agony where I thought I was the only one who had these I just thought I was weird. My parents didn't know was going on and It was only years later where I realized someone else a friend of mine had also had these similar looping thoughts And I was like, oh, maybe I maybe i'm not weird Maybe this was a thing that other people's brains do too. So whatever you call it ocd anxiety, whatever Just the feeling of i'm not alone. I'm not a freak other people have gone through this. This right. is a byproduct of living. Right, yeah. It makes you feel so, so much better.
1: Do you remember your first – let's do first panic attack stories. Do you remember first panic attack? You know
2: what? I haven't had – the panic attack stuff, it, it more manifested in – like when I was – when it was really bad in early adolescence, what it manifested itself in was um like – self-implosion shit attacks mm-hmm. where I would start worrying. So my thing was guilty thoughts where I would have, and I I wasn't raised religiously, so I don't know where this came from, <laughs> but I would have a guilty thought and I would spiral on the guilty thought and I'd percolate on the guilty thought and I would just kind of shrink into a ball and then I'd have to go to the bathroom. And my parents took me to a doctor and they did an x-ray and they saw like a lot of shit built up and they thought I had a virus. And so they put me on mineral oil, but it kept happening because it was all in my head. So that's to me what I only had my first panic attack with a capital P this year, and it was the 2nd last episode of the season. I was just overworked, and that's when I was like, (gasps) my throat started to close, and I started shivering, and I shut down. And then I just took a nap, and it went away. But for a long time, it was, I had these, I guess what you'd call them anxiety attacks, where Uh it, it always felt like if I was close to an anxiety attack, or whatever you call it, an anxiety spiral, it felt like I was... And still feels like I'm balancing on the edge of a pool. And if I dip my toe in, meaning if I engage in the thought, I will fall in the pool. Right. And then I'm like sinking for hours. Right. That's what it feels like to me. So it's interesting because panic attacks I know are a thing with some people. And that almost feels separate than the brand of anxiety yeah because
1: the 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 panic i think is i mean at least from my experiences with them is that it's more of the sort of physiological manifestation more of the physical manifestation of the anxiety where and i personally think that it's your i think it's your body trying to distract you Mm. distract you from your thoughts by going oh my heart or oh Uh my oh something and the funny thing about them is that There are many funny things about them, but one of them being that as many times as you have them, the more you have them, the more you can kind of talk yourself, oh, I know what this is. But every once in a while, one will sneak through and you'll go, no, wait, I know that the other ones were panicked, but I think this is really some type of cardiac event or something because it's such a great mimicker it can mimic so many other symptoms that it can trick you and you and then afterwards you're like god fucking you got me again god damn it how many fucking times you know Wow,
2: well, so you really think it's it feels like a heart attack
1: it fe- it can feel like a lot of things sure. it can feel like you can your limbs can go numb you can be short of breath it can feel like a heart attack you can think you're having a stroke you can think you're ha- about to pass out you can think yeah. your you know your vision can get blurry like if you if you look up all the things that it can mimic it's pretty shocking, but I yeah. really do think that it it is it, it is your body trying to distract you from you know whatever these types of generalized anxiety spirals are, or these you know beating yourself up or you're trying to punish yourself for some reason because yeah. who knows why because yeah. you feel like you deserve it yeah, yeah, how did you get out of the how did you get out of the thing with the stomach
2: It went away i I, I remember it just slowly started to go away when I was thirteen, you know I got. I don't know. I just started to, maybe it was I was coming out of puberty. I mean, it, was, it could have been hormonally triggered. I mean, I've talked to my psychiatrist about this, and they're, the way hormones interact with our mental health, are, you know, it's, it's, it's huge. And I, it was synonymous with me becoming more popular and getting more friends and finally getting accepted because of theater, which I had always loved. And so it all just worked together that by the time I got into high school, it was gone. And then it resurfaced a couple of years ago in, in different forms. It was gone for a while, and then it came back in other ways. Uh, but, but still the root of my anxiety is it always – it's like I spiral, 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 and the core of it is this anxiety is going to ruin everything I hold dear. Right. The, it's, it's fear of the thought itself, and it right. feels like there's this um, – for a long time it feels like I would always say there's like it's almost like there's a little there's like a giraffe over my shoulder. I know that there's like something big behind mm-hmm. me and it feels like it's it's looking at everything I hold dear and wants to attack it.
1: Well giraffes are pretty docile.
2: Yeah, I know. I, I don't know why I I don't know why it just it feels like something big and looming. But at the same time it's it's inside of me, I mean, sometimes I just call it like the bad thing, yeah, mm-hmm. it just feels like, oh, the bad thing's here, and the bad thing wants to make me not feel the like Baba myself Duke. the bababa yeah. the bababadu wants to make me not feel like me right now
1: right, 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 which is it I think it's good to kind of have those conversations with your brain it because it it when you're young. You don't realize sometimes that – I hope this makes sense – that you can separate yourself from your thoughts. Mm -hmm. So when you're young and you have a thought, you just think like, oh, well, my brain is telling me this, so it must be true. Yes. Rather than, you know, I think the brain plays tricks on you. And I think it's all well-intentioned, but it's, you know – being able to go, okay, I know you're telling me this, but I'm not going to pay attention to that. Like That that takes some time to discover, but I feel like, you know, the more people talk about it, and the more calmly and openly and casually they talk about it, the more a parent might recognize, oh, my kid, it seems like something's wrong. Hey, you can talk about this. You feel weird? I felt weird. Hey, you can, oh, okay, great. Now we're talking about it. Right. You know, which is the most, conversation I think is one of the Beginnings to being the equalizer of everything is just being able to talk it down, and because the more you, you know, the more you shove it in.
2: Oh, it's it's the worst, especially when you consider yourself intelligent. You begin to trust. I mean, it's like what you said. You you trust the thought. Well, this is a thought I'm having, and I'm pretty smart, so right. this thought must be true. And I guess my brain is right that you know. Uh, because i'm having this thought right now it means i won't be good at softball. Well that's a very <laughs> right. logical thought, right? <laughs> and i mean that's what cognitive behavioral therapy in essence for me is 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 knowing which thoughts are worth engaging in which thoughts are nothing.
1: Yeah, and i think ultimately the goal is to figuring out how to ultimately as best as you can like really pilot the thoughts yeah. and drive them and drive your brain as opposed to just being dragged around by it. Mm-hmm. And, and it is, it is possible. Uh, and you know, Jonah, uh, months ago had told me, he was like, Oh, I'm starting to do transcendental meditation. And it's been really nice to like take breaks to just, just like put my brain on these breaks. And, uh, and enough people set, mentioned it to me. I was like, fuck, I'm going to go do it. So I went to the David Lynch Foundation and did it.
2: And I did the same thing. It, you did. Yeah. Yeah. And I took the whole class. I, I do. I try to do TM every day, but I'm so tired lately I end up falling asleep.
1: <laughs> and well, that's, that's okay. Good.
2: <laughs> I know that's okay, but, but but go on. For me, I'm curious what it did for you. Cause...
1: Well, I've only been doing it for a couple weeks. Okay. But what it has done for me so far is that, um, you know, it's not like I just magically felt like, I'm fixed. Yeah. But what I have felt is less reactive. Mm-hmm. I felt more rested. Mm-hmm. I felt calmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I... Th- this actually really freaked me out. I'm an insanely ticklish person, and mm-hmm. I don't like being tickled. Like, I, if I get tickled, I get fucking angry. <laughs> it feels so just weird and violated to me. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. I think I had a cousin that used to pin me down when I was a kid and be like, ah, like past the point of like, please, you have to stop. And, and, you know, it was just like funnier. And so I just get really, if someone tickles me, I'm like, get the fuck away. And so sometimes I'm flinchy, Hmm. you know, like if, if my wife like touches and I'm not paying attention, I just get flinchy. And she, she was touching me the other day in a way like, I can't, like my neck is very sensitive And all of a sudden, it just wasn't. Hmm. And that was very strange to me. I'm like, oh, I just don't feel that kind of like ah you know like it it was just gone and that that and that was after doing it for like a week yeah that's
2: really cool yeah it was right. it was really cool wow.
1: cuz you know it's probably wife it's probably nice if your wife can <laughs> uh touch you randomly and not have you go ah yeah. you know what are you doing <laughs> so. it's almost you
2: have you basically have tickle PTSD <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tickle
1: P- post P- P- traumatic P-T- tickle disorder post Pete. post pe pttd pttd Post-traumatic traumatic tickle disorder. disorder,
2: PTTD. Yeah, PTTD. I felt like when I did TM, and I continue to feel this way. It just gave me more control over my thoughts, and and also gave me this feeling of, eh, I can't control everything. So why mull over this bad thing that I did? I've punished myself enough. It's just time to move on. And and just learning that skill, it's something that I never even thought of doing before. The yeah. idea, the ability of just not engaging in the thoughts that were counter to my happiness. It's just an idea that was so... I don't know. I also feel like especially with Jews, we associate our anxiety with who we are. And there's a whole other theory of uh, Jews are anxious because... It was the anxious people who survived because <laughs> it's the anxious people who are like, the Cossacks are coming. And the other guys were like, "Nah, it's fine. You know,
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> what are you worried about? All worried the time? about it's fine. Yeah, what is it? I'll collect nuts later. <laughs> uh, yeah. But but what you said was, I think, totally right on about um Because when you go into the meditation part and you're just allowing your thoughts to happen and not trying to engage with them or control them, I think it does teach you that you don't have to – like you said, you don't have to control everything. And I think that is the root – of a lot of uh, you know anxiety and a lot of obsessive thinking is must control. I must control, and I know obviously people with mental illness is deeper than just like hey, just you, just relax, you know. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I think the root of it is are all and alcoholism, all of it. It's just all these control issues. Sure. It's like I need to control in an uncontrollable world, and particularly now where we're on a 24 seven diet of. Horrible news and toxic social media and to- and, in- and toxic everything Ugh. now more than ever people just need to grab onto whatever little nugget of control they can to not fucking go nuts
2: that reminds me there 's a theory that i 've heard that um there's an increase in borderline personality disorder because of how confusing the world is that and and one of the I might be muddling this, but one of the tenets of borderline is seeing things in only black and white and not having a sense of yourself, only kind of defining yourself with the external. And if you guys listen to S Town, the lead character of S Town is, I, a lot of people say is like a textbook example of someone with borderline. And, you know, he loves getting those tattoos. Self harm. Um, kind of pain to distract you from your looping thoughts mm-hmm. is a thing that borderline people do and there's a theory that that has lent itself to the increase in piercings and tattoos mm-hmm. is that it's people who just need to find any way to be present and escape from their thoughts and the thing that makes you do that is the pain of getting a tattoo or the pain Well, yeah. Of I mean,
1: what, what can you, con- you know, like uh, whether it's alcohol or whether it's an eating disorder or whether it's self-harm, it's you controlling... Your body, you controlling what's going in your body, controlling the experience, controlling the pain, controlling the ingestion or not or or lack thereof. And, um,
2: I and love tattoos. Tattoos look really cool, and I want a tattoo. I and Do I love—I don't have any because I'm—I'm I'm chicken. But like, not ever saying everyone with tattoos is borderline. Just that was a theory. No, no. Thank I'm covering you. my bases because <laughs> social well, media got is some good terrifying.
1: Ones. Well, yeah, because someone's going to interpret that as oh, and you're going oh no, I didn't, I didn't really mean it that way. But that's what you said. Oh, I know. But you know, so that's, uh, that's, that's, I'm not, I'm not in your head with your thoughts. Oh. And I don't mean it that way. And that. then I
2: just don't check my ads for the next week because I'm like the internet's not. Safe. well that's
1: probably a healthy I thing.
2: think I just I try not to do that anyway <laughs> yeah. how much does getting a tattoo hurt
0: uh depends on where it is um like I got my first tattoo like right here and it's a kind of a fleshy he's part pointing my arm. to the, Sorry, my, oh, my, my, to the my, back my of his tricep arm tricep area it's a gorgeous tattoo thank you um and that one was uh, like I asked the guy I was like is this gonna hurt and he says well, not for your kind of arm meaning that it was flabby enough to not really warrant as much pain. Um, oh, thank you, sir. But then I got one on this, the inside of my bicep uh, recently. That was the one I got after my dad died, and um, that one was very sensitive. That one hurt a lot. It, it like, hurt way more than I thought it would. I thought my fleshy arm would save me again, but there's a lot of nerve endings there, I guess, and it's, uh, that, one, that one was tough. And then uh, Jay Howell gave me one right here when he was drunk, and it hurt because he pushed too hard.
2: <laughs> or just a friend. <laughs> it was the you...
0: guy who designed Bob's Burgers. Oh, uh, we no! were hanging out at his place, and, and he um, just has
2: a tattoo gun. Here? He's like he's, he's like, super a, like into...
1: I did Sanjay and Craig with him. Yeah, and he he's like he... a punk rock dude. Yeah, yeah I, was, I, I, I love
2: that show. It was so yeah. much. I fun. I love Sanjay. I almost wrote I almost wrote on it. Oh, nice. Yeah, I was Craig. Um, I know. And oh, okay. crazy ex. Uh, I um I I got offered to write on Sanjay and Craig, and then. Crazy X, like the pilot. We sold the pilot and I couldn't do it. Well, I'm glad you got to do your pilot,
1: but I'm sorry you didn't get to run on Sunday. I love
2: that. It felt like old school Nickelodeon. It
1: did. It was. It was really fun. And I remember when Jay was exper was going through his period he was like, Yeah, you know, I think I'm just gonna start giving tattoos. So I mean he would show up with like three new weird tattoos on his leg yeah. and was just so casual about, yeah, you know, I just got drunk and I just kind of was just experimenting. I'm like, but that's permanent on your leg. But he's covered. You know? He's it's covered. A, it's like
0: we it was we were at his place and you know but it's he like other, getting a piece of art. Yeah, he had other him.
1: he had other like you know
0: artist friends and everyone was giving each other tattoos and drinking Coors Banquet beer, you know, mm-hmm. and he's a, he's he's like, let me give you something. And I was like, well yeah just give me like he has like those cute little dogs that mm-hmm. he draws was. And to me, it's like you know, it's like I got like a, a Matt Graining to like yeah. not just a Matt Groening design tattoo, but like I got like him to do it. And so that's right here, and it's real small. It Looks real white trash.
1: Yeah, but I've been, I've been, I'm honestly it's like a tempted. tiny thing on my giant white arm. I'm tempted to, to have him do one on me just because I feel because it is. It's like it's like having the actual artist. Yeah, that's
0: really cool. Yeah, Deanna, my wife, she got like a, a huge crocodile on her ankle. I just fear that
1: after a week, I would go. Why did I do this? You're, must remove... Just sure. Kinda, but, like, it, it, it doesn't matter.
2: Well, also, you're an actor, so, like, it... I think it's different when... I don't know. Well, I guess you're more like your own persona, though. Like, you're not... How often are you, are you ever auditioning for, like, I'm going to N- be no. in the Iceman
1: No, I, I, I auditioned for an Adam McKay movie last year just because it was an Adam McKay movie, but no one ever asks me to audition for it. It would have to... My schedule doesn't really allow me to be an auditioner. Sure. And I also know, like...
2: Or offer only.
1: <laughs> well, the only <laughs> reason I would say offer only on stuff... But I know that there are some acting things that I, I would audition for if someone asked. But But the truth is... I just, I know that there are better auditioners. Mm. I think I would be good if someone just said, well, let's just get you on set and put you in this situation. But I'm just like, I'm preparing pages and I'm going to go in a room and sit across a table and be like, I don't, what do we do about this? You know, We'll like, talk
2: I, about fighting the lizard brain and feeling comfortable. That's a whole fucking skill with auditioning. Yeah. Yes, where it, it, yeah. it
1: is. It really is. Some people are just good
0: at that. They're really good at that.
2: You know what I think the key is? And this is after, because... After we sold the pilot for Crazy X, and I, I think we'd already maybe done a table read, I don't know, I I had been auditioning for years, and only after Crazy X did I I got asked to test for two different shows within the span of a week. And I think what it was was, A, I didn't care anymore, right? so I wasn't trying to impress the powers that be. But also, I learned by reading my own writing, I realized, oh, you have to treat every script like it's your own writing. Mm-hmm. That you have to treat it like you thought of it, and I think that I'd been... Looking at other people's scripts, like I'm going to try to be the thing that I think you want as yeah. opposed to I'm gonna do my thing, and you tell me if you like it or not,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. but that 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 process is i mean it's it's a steeplechase yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is an emotional steeplechase, and you know when but when you realize like in most cases it's it's rare that you are going to audition yourself into the role in most cases, they are looking for. This like shopping for a Christmas present, they just kind of have an idea in their head of what they mm-hmm. want, and if the right person walks in at the right time, like oh yeah, that's that's the person. I mean, you can. I think people can be more prepared and audition really well, but you can audition the shit out of something, and then it's like your audition was amazing, but you're just not like you're just not right for yeah. this.
2: Yeah. Have you ever have you ever had actors audition for you? Have you ever been behind yeah. an audition? Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if you know. For me. The interesting thing, because I thought for many years, you know, you learn all these auditioning rules. Well, don't wear dots. Don't wear, you know, (laughs) don't, don't and learn all your lines. And I would, I would literally, if I messed up, if I stumbled, I I was like, I have to be word perfect. And what I learned from auditioning for my show was auditioning people and watching it. It wasn't anything to do with the words. It was just, do I buy it? It was, do I buy the essence of this person? Do I buy that they are saying these words right now? And if someone's audition was good enough, and by good enough, I mean specific and they had a point of view enough. I think that's what, to me, a good audition is. It's not like, I'm gonna act the shit out of every word you have written. And the beats, you know, and the beats are like super crisp. I'm gonna stand up
1: on this line, I'm gonna sit down on this line. Yeah, but that shit's super
2: fucking gross. But it was when someone just had a really unique take that it makes you maybe want to change the role around either. Right. they they're so so fucking good um that you're like oh i'm going to re i'm going to rethink something or i'm going to rewrite this role uh or at least make you close to question you know question yeah. rewriting the right
1: role. so my friend um uh this guy that i would work with sometimes when i would have auditions do you know jack platnick
2: i I know him. Uh, My friend worked with him for a recent movie. He's great.
1: He's great. And a great writer and a great actor. And he has this whole blog that people can look up, which is for acting. But I think it's good for other disciplines, too, because it's this whole idea. That thing that you said that's watching over you, trying to destroy everything, he calls it the vulture. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know, like your vulture is the one that prejudges you, basically, and and tells you, like, oh, you know – I need this, or this is going to suck, or this, that. And so he has techniques for sort of just, like, getting around what he calls a vulture. This is Jack Plotnick. He's a really, really sweet, great he's guy. He's
2: wonderful. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know about his blog. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's he's awesome. had it up for years. Like, it's just, you know, just as a, here, actors, you know, actors, you know nice just a little pu- public service for actors. Oh, nice. Look uh, at Jack
2: Plotnick's blog. Yeah,
1: Jack Plotnick's blog. And I
2: think he's single.
1: Hey. So
2: any gentleman out there. He's a groundling, I think. Was- <laughs> <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen. Come on, guys. Listen. There's all I'm saying. It was a joke. So, or no. It was a it was a joke. I look, the groundlings people are very good at characters and impressions, and I'm I'm not great at that. So
1: what do you what are your what do you think your I mean, because I think one of the great things about anyone who's followed your career is that it's inspiring for someone. It's like, hey if you, you you can just make this you, you don 't have to work within the system, you can make the system mm-hmm. like you have made you made your way one hundred percent and earned everything that 's one of the reasons why I get so excited to see you like when we pass each other at award show and stuff Aww. you know i 'm like, my God, you know she just fucking made it happen like she just you developed your own ideas, you put stuff on the internet, you worked hard, you did live shows, you wrote on great shows. And you found this thing that was really a part of you, like an authentic part of you and expressed it and used all of your talents and mashed them into this one thing. And I think that is the best thing that anyone can do is figure out who they are and just mash everything that they love and everything they're good at together. Yeah so how <laughs> was it is it just a is it just like a drive that you have, or like what was it that what was what's so motivating like what made you realize I can do this I'm going to try to do this, and how did you not judge yourself out of it?
2: Well, it was feeling the gaps in both worlds it was feeling the lack of emotion and the lack of i don't know I felt showmanship in the comedy community, like the comedy community felt very um smart and intellectual but like no one's projecting (laughs) (laughs) like I can't hand them in the back Uh, and and you know we're in and I, I was in New York City and it just the the two worlds of theater and comedy felt so different in ways that I thought were completely unnecessary and then likewise in musical theater I mean I was a musical theater major And so first of all, when I started to learn sketch comedy and fall in love with it, you realize that so much of musical theater is shit (laughs) and the, and the standards are so low because the golden age of musical theater was the, uh, it's like the fifties to the early seventies. They call that like the musical theater golden age, maybe 1947, starting with Oklahoma, but I think that was 47 anyway. Um, but, you know, when you're talking about then the golden age of musical theater and anything that's comedic, you're talking about jokes that were written in the 50s and the 60s. They're not going <laughs> yeah. to be funny, even if they were hilarious back then, which they still probably weren't. Um, <laughs> Do we need to say dames here? Do we need to say it here? Uh-huh. It- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, that, is that really the right to context? Well, for Sondheim writes about it in one of his books where he talks about the difference between being clever and funny. And if you look at Cole Porter's lyrics, they're very clever a lot of them are like oh
1: boy <laughs> it's
0: you more know. Of the oh. oh it's
2: that so that's a lot of musical theater and i just got very frustrated because i wanted to i was falling in love with sketch comedy but also wanted to still do musical theater and the quest to find a good musical theater audition song for a woman because there were better parts for men but the the lack of of actually genuinely funny things for women i felt like in Musical theater and theater in general that didn't feel dated or soft were really low. And so I think it started with I took a musical theater writing class because I was like, I think I can blend sketch comedy and musical theater in ways that most people could do. It just seemed obvious to me.
0: Yeah.
2: It just seemed like, oh, yeah, of, of course, a, a, a good comedy song is just a musical sketch. But as I started doing it, I realized not a lot of people were doing that. For whatever reason, yeah. so it was a fee- it was a feeling of trying to do the obvious thing and make both worlds better and be happier in both of these worlds. Definitely feeling, um, feeling. Probably insecurity was a big thing Because you know I was the big I was the shit in my high school And then you get to college Where everyone was the lead In their high school play (laughs) And there's a little bit of Well maybe I'm not as good as that girl But at least I can write And so you begin (laughs) to value Your other skills as a defense mechanism But it actually really worked out for me (laughs) 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 And then I think the other thing is I mean I'm sure you guys feel this too But there's fear of death And fear of failure the fear of I'm going to be on my deathbed and I will, I won't have done anything great because I was lazy. That's, that is such a motivator for me.
1: Yeah. But also, you know, the feeling of being able to take control of your career and not feeling like, I mean, that's, you know, that's the other thing that is can be so maddening for people and in, in talking about being in situations that they can't control. You can't control anything in the entertainment business at all. Even once you have a job, you don't know if, you're like they could replace you, or yeah. they could cancel the show, or you could, you know. So that feeling of, uh, and I guess ultimately, no job in any field is safe from like a hundred percent. But I feel like in entertainment, it is particularly volatile, and so the idea of just needing to feel grounded to something, but taking that fear and creating with it. Is the trick, I think, rather than being victimized by it. Yes. And that is what you were able to do. And so, you know, what do people ask you about that or how to do that? And do you have advice for that? Is it, I, I mean, when people say, oh, how do I do stand? I go, we well, just got to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's not really a secret starting line. No one fires a gun. It's like, you just go do it and yeah. that's it.
2: Oh, people ask me all the time. I mean, I think the tricky advice I have is when it's someone who wants to do drama. Comedy, we have so many ways to get our work noticed. I mean, between, forget the internet even wasn't a thing. When you do comedy, you inherently do it for an audience. You do a stand-up show, you take a class at UCB or the Groundlings, (laughs) and people see you, and you meet other people. It's inherently collaborative. If someone's like, I have a drama script, I I mean, I, I don't know. The only way I know how to get your work out there is to make it be known to other people and search for every avenue that you can i mean just just say yes to everything and exhaust every single option and opportunity because even the things that are a bust will have opened a door like i finished this spec script that i've been working on to apply specifically for the nickelodeon writing fellowship knowing i probably wouldn't get it and i didn't even get their equivalent of a callback, but it kicked my ass to finish my spec, which six months later when I got an agent, got me hired for my first writing job. Oh, wow. So finding different things to kick your ass and different little deadlines Mm -hmm. is also really important for me. But at the end of the day, it was, it made me happy. And I think that in LA, there's a little bit of a trap where you put your career before your happiness. And sometimes, you know, sometimes people move out here maybe before they're ready to be working professionally, and they think, "Well, where's my agent?" And it says, well, "Well, what are you doing this for?" It has to be about the art and the craft first, even though that's very counterintuitive. Right. to show yeah. business—it's weird. Yeah,
1: yeah I'm, my the first iteration of my career in the 1900s, um, <laughs> I you know I had an agent, and I would always be like, "Why aren't you doing more? Why aren't you sending me?" And then when I look back now, I realize. Oh, I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't giving them anything. Like, I wasn't creating anything. I mean, I can't. Now it's hard for me to imagine a time, you know, when I look at, you know, the way that I made stuff and the way that you made stuff, Jonah, and the way that you made stuff, Rachel, the thing we're doing now, the podcast. I can't imagine what I would have done. If I were an adult in the 80s or the uh. 70s or any other period of time where I had this creative energy and not not all of these outlets to yeah. express them or kind of go, oh, well, I'll just make my own stuff. I, don't, I mean, obviously, people could do that, you know, like Kevin Smith made Clerks and other yeah. people made their independent Quentin Tarantino. Like other people did do stuff, but it was infinitely more challenging than it is now. I can't... Yeah. Can you imagine being in any other time period? No.
2: I feel lucky. No, I mean, also, I mean, as a... Actually, as like a woman, but also as a Jewish woman, which now, I, that doesn't make a, a dent. Everyone's Jewish. But I think about my grandma who um, didn't go to college. She was a very, very... Poor, you know, you kind of stay in your lane. She was a Jew growing up in St. Louis, and I found recently some of her writing. She later started to take. She got her associate's degree, and as part of that, took writing classes at the local community college. Right, I think it was Santa Monica College, right here. And I found some of her writing, and it's really good. But that wow. just wasn't an option for her. It just no one. It, it, it just that's not what you do. You you get married, and you have kids and you don't climb your social class in that way like that's Mm -hmm. not for you i was just with my dad last night my dad was 42 when i was born so my grandparents died when i was really little and i said what would your parents have thought of what i'm doing now you know with slinging my tits around and and talking about you know periods and stuff and he said (laughs) it just wouldn't have it was so outside of that world you know when you, they'd watch TV or film, they'd think, oh, well, the, that's artsy people. That's not what we do. Right. And I think there's been a real. My parents were always supportive of me being in the arts and expressing my creativity, and I was. I think that's a really recent thing for anyone whose parents are like that.
1: I we, we were watch, we started watching a documentary the other night called Bombshell. It's the Hedy Lamarr documentary, mm-hmm. and it's fascinating Ooh. because it is all about everything that you're talking about. Where she was obviously sort of, at least according to the documentary, she was very seduced by you know, like being being a starlet yeah. was her kind of her way out of you know. She was married to this like essentially this Austrian arms dealer, <laughs> and wow she uh, literally like escaped like dressed up like a maid and just took off one night at a dinner party and but she was constant like her whole life she was an inventor and she constantly had ideas and so <laughs> in the and there, and some people dispute this some people say like oh she didn't really come up with these ideas you know but according to the story she um helped the war effort in world war ii she was and at this point she was already like a massive star and she had this idea uh of frequency hopping to be able to radio control torpedoes because the u-boats were too hard to track for the allied ships and so and they could just create radio they could just create um noise like radio noise to uh disable them controlling so she got this idea for a remote from a remote control radio, which was a new th- technology at the yes. time. Like, well, what if you packet? Sw- what if you frequency switched? So at one p- and you and the, the and the allies knew like what the frequency jumping was going to be, but the other side would never be able to predict where it was going to jump next. So even if they were interfering at one frequency. They would; it wouldn't be long enough on that frequency to create any real interference. And and it is you know like they say, well, this is the foundation of like Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. No uh, way. That this you know that this woman was this really brilliant actress, and she she was an actress, but she talks about how she was married many times, and she this reporter unearthed this interview that he did with her in 1990 that he just found on a tape that was like behind a trash can. Oh my god! And you know she basically talks about how. Um, the, the men that she was with just never saw her as anything like she almost in a way, even though she used beauty to her advantage, she was almost like weirdly burdened by it because no one ever saw past that with her Wow! into this, this whole like brilliant inner life that she had. So it's a really, really phenomenal documentary. That's
2: amazing. I mean, I can't wait to watch it, but the idea of the closest thing that you can imagine, okay, I'm smart and I want to get out of my marriage. And I'm I'm I have good social EQ. I guess the closest thing is a bombshell, <laughs> but but you know now she would be all of these things, and she'd have a TED talk. And, and she also O-B-M had to, series. She also had yeah. to
1: hide the fact that she was Jewish. That was another oh. thing that she well she didn't have to, but she chose to hide sure. because she At didn't that time, want yeah. that to be. She, you know, if people asked if she was Jew. like her, ki- her s- kid, her kids said like, oh, I didn't, we didn't really know we were Jewish for the longest time, you know, because she was like, oh, that's ridiculous. We're not. What do you mean? You know, because she was so afraid. Yeah. And, but I love what you just said. Like now, you know, she'd be able to have a TED talk and she'd be able to. She'd
2: be open about being Jewish. I mean, it's weird because it's such a, it's such a, a ubiquitous thing right now. But recently, I mean very recently it was not great to be Jewish. My grandmother was uh she graduated from Northeastern Law School I think in 1932 and she was one of three women who graduated and I always heard these stories that at her law firm she told them she was Italian because mm-hmm. they if she'd said she was Jewish she would have you know gotten fired and they were always telling Jew jokes around her and she just oh had to God. laugh Jeez. and and it, people for the longest time And still do, obviously. People really hate Jews uh, still to this day. But I really take – I think a lot of us take for granted how accepted it is in a lot of circles uh, it is to be Jewish, where just very recently it wasn't.
1: I just got a thing that you have to wrap in five minutes, so I imagine you are in the middle of a really insane, shitty press day. Uh, oh
2: yeah, I have a Hollywood reporter panel
1: oh that's very fancy well, I'm
2: promoting Crazy X but also i'm in this movie
1: most likely to murder yeah op- on may first on VOD which is today which is today yeah oh it is today yeah, is yeah. Shit. yeah.
2: I'm in this movie. My husband happened to have directed it and co-wrote it, but it's a fantastic movie. Even if we were mortal en- enemies, and Adam Pally and I are in it, along with Vincent Kartheiser from Oh Man. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, awesome, and Doug Mann, who co-wrote the movie, is also in it, and I think he steals the movie. Um, and it's a great, it's a great film about nostalgia and clinging to the past, and the kind of guy who. Has uh, a lot of things that you would call like white male privilege, but uh, doesn't get away with it, which I love. Nice.
1: Well, I, I'm so glad that you were able to come on the podcast, and I loved every time that you were on at midnight. And I also am just constantly impressed by how much you care about comedy and the art of comedy. Like even the fact that you're like, oh, we only want to do four seasons because that's the best version of that show. Like that. It, to, to hear someone would actively. Choose to not when when it seems like oh yeah I got to fucking ride this out as yeah. long as I'm going to ride this dolphin <laughs> into the sunset you know I mean it's 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 a very bold move and and at the and on paper it sort of looks like oh wow it's risky to give up a job but I tend to think like it's riskier to not. Evolve and do new things and tell stories that you're excited about. It's
2: riskier to get shitty too. <laughs> yes, I mean that's 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 that. the thing is like if you get shitty, if you get if you suddenly get shitty, you're not going to be high in demand anyway. And it was the thing where when we started the show, I just wanted to create good work, and Aline Aline Rush McKenna, my writing partner, was so rich and and successful from writing movies. Doing TV at all was, at the time, somewhat of a step down. So she was like, I only care about making quality work. I don't care about creating something that I don't care about. Um, so it worked out.
1: Is there anything that you can tease for the season four? Or no, not yet.
2: Uh, yeah, I would say um, starting from scratch and renewal.
1: Okay. Starting and rebirth. From scratch. And uh My dick is God (laughs) Which is the title Of the season
2: My dick is God is great (laughs) I will say that Uh Danny Jollis Who's on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend Who I know From doing college Sketch comedy He's gonna hate me For this But he had a sketch Called Jay Leno Penis Uh (laughs) And it's when I first read it; it was the hardest I'd ever laughed reading anything in my life. I was very high, but even now, it was about a guy whose penis is Jay Leno, and it just impeded his every. It it, it 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 ruined his life, and I still think it holds up.
1: There's, I mean, listen, I have no shortage of dick jokes in my act. Some of them are just dumb. Some of them actually do have a purpose. You know, like you can you can have a purpose with them, but I guess it's just the question of like, are you you know. Is it just a cheap is it just a cheap laugh, or is it a part of a bigger thing? Is it', is yeah. it actually relate to something mm-hmm. else but I don't know, I kind of feel like. It seems like there's there's room for all types of jokes as long as you can have a nice balance, yeah. you know? Like, as long as you can have – my favorite comics have, like, a nice balance of just dumb silly jokes and then, like, really cerebral jokes and then really <laughs> dirty jokes and then really – like, they just kind of go all over the place.
2: I have My favorite comics as well. I mean, just I, – I mean, that's why I loved what Michelle Wolf did yeah. at the White House <laughs> <laughs> Correspondents' Day. It was,
1: it was a great set.
2: Are you getting asked about that?
1: No, no one's asked me about that. Yet. I
2: just—I've been doing press for the movie, and everyone brings it up. And all you can say, and all I can say, is yeah, it was great. It was really funny.
1: Well, I guess I guess yeah, it was really—it <laughs> was really—it was, really, was a great set. Yeah. Really well-written yeah. set. well written set. You know, the thing that I would say about it is, you know, it's like, what, what did you think she was going to do? It's so like, stupid. did you yeah. not like you? I don't. You, did you don't, not have you not watched the Daily Show? Like, what did you think was
0: going to happen? It's because she like she like a lot of people that do it like they lean towards Republicans and conservatives. She kind of gave it to everybody, which everyone should do.
2: Is that and why so, people are, are that, so? I upset mean, that's it? Like,
0: that's the only thing I can really think of. But
2: people are all up in arms about her complimenting Sarah Huckabee Sanders' eyeliner or whatever. That oh, was the, uh, <laughs>
0: the smoky <laughs> eye. Sorry,
2: this is the this is trending right now, yeah. Yeah. and it's just it's just so it, it's just funny to see like a really good. Comedy set that would hold up anywhere, and people reacting to it. Who, a lot of whom, I'm just like, oh, you haven't seen good comedy then. If you're if you're upset about this, then you need to go to some more comedy clubs and learn what good comedy is. Because to me, this was just (sighs) well. I I
1: also think you know, it's like did everyone forget what Colbert did with blood like it was yeah, the same, same like he basically just called him a war criminal yeah <laughs> yeah
2: exactly well then there's the argument of that a lot of people are making that it's also because she's a woman yeah. which again goes back to the male G-A-Z-E which is uh, uh, this subtext of well a man can do it but when a woman does it no 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 women are for fucking and and when women when women talk about you know when women talk about their genitals it 's crude, but when a man does it, well, I guess a man is still crude but <laughs> but, but but you know the idea of her being called lewd and Crude. That those are words that are used less to describe male yeah. comedians.
1: I mean, I, I think I think everyone is at such a fever pitch right now no. of of anger and anxiety and toxicity on both sides no. that any slight thing that one side does is like what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. You know, it's like basically everyone's just in fucking guard dog attack mode at all times. And any little and anything in any other era where it wasn't where the stakes weren't so fucking high. You know, people would have been like, "Eh, yeah, it was fine. Oh, I loved it. Oh, I don't know. It wasn't really my thing. But now, now like, this is the, what the fuck? She better, you better fire. You better not. Like everyone's just in. And unfortunately, because the loudest, most intense voices rise to the top in our kind of upvote culture of social media, it just feels like everyone's flipping the fuck out. Yeah,
0: Well, it's all, you know, it's. It's a lot of noise. It's it's like it's so much noise talking about a comedic set that everyone's completely disregarding the fact that the president brought, uh, was at a rally and said, Any Hispanics here? And then the entire crowd started to boo. Oh, it's like,
2: uh It's like, well, that's yep.
0: that's didn't weird. Didn't know about that. Se- yeah, exactly. Jesus you didn't Christ. hear about that well, because we're talking think, about jokes.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, and where I'm starting to get to with all this stuff now is not to get – you know, like, not to click on the trending topic to see what people are saying mm. and not to get pulled into the anger and be like, now I'm mad about a thing I don't really have a, a, you know, I don't really have a pony in this race. Yeah. In the sense of, like, I didn't, I wasn't a part of this, and now I'm angry at someone's take on it because we're in 20 hot take teen, in case you didn't know, oh, everyone's got ooh, a fucking hot take. Oh. Those
0: the tongue, but and, it makes uh, sense.
1: And, uh, 20 hot take and, and And now I just sort of feel like, you know what? Everyone will be pissed about something else in three days. Yeah. You know, like th- this will be, this will feel like a year ago in a couple days, and everyone's yeah. gonna be pissed off about something else that happened and fighting with each other, and it just. Take you know. Twitter off your phone. <laughs> check oh, it I've off. done
2: that. It's great. Yeah. I, I love it. I only check it on, yeah, when you only check it on your laptop, it's great. Yeah, I wish great. that Instagram, you could post from Instagram on your laptop. That's Me the too. one app I can't. You
1: can look at it.
2: You can look at it, but you can't post from can't, it. Yeah,
1: I also admire anyone who would can stand in front of people and just rip them. It's like I'm so I. I mean, I don't know. I just that's not an easy thing to do when no. you know no. when you know that people are gonna. Uh, you know what the reaction is going to be. You know, and I watched the thi- You know, I watched like a clip of it. There were people laughing in the room. Like there I don't were. know what the. Yeah. I mean. I don't know, whatever. This
2: only also this people, a question that I've gotten from a couple of places is like to you. Well, what do you think this does for a career? What are you talking? It only helps it. Yeah. I (laughs) watched her Twitter followers. She went from 96,000 to 450,000 in a day. Oh, so you mean the
1: thing that she did on a bigger scale that That she always does on the Daily Show? Yes, that was probably good for her career. Yeah. You know, is she gonna, you know, open a NASCAR show? Probably not. But she wasn't (laughs) fucking to do that anyway (laughs) so you know like I don't know you know like I just don't know I don't know everyone's just angry but it'll you know we'll be angry about something else next year Emo Phillips that's who should do (laughs) the correspondence I would I would attend that if Emo that would be
2: unbelievable I would
1: love that god damn it
2: or Billy the Mime we should (laughs) or
1: or what's the uh
0: shoot what's the the clown guy that's been doing uh, weird stuff lately
1: it's like that real tall guy. He's like dressed as a clown and he sings opera. Oh, 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 oh. You're, you're talking about... Um, um, Puddle's Pity Party. Puddle. Yeah, it's Puddle's Pity Party. Yeah. I'm looking at this He's card. phenomenal. He he's, does an amazing cover of Royals. Yes, he, he does. He does these really loungy um, uh, cabaret style yeah, he's covers. Got, I've seen him live. He's
0: got such pipes. He's like amazing. His, he doesn't even need a mic. He just... His voice fills a room. It's so And cool. we'll never be right. Like oh,
2: he yeah. does this. It's so... Yeah, yeah. It's Well, and now they are talking about stopping the dinner, which... I, I don't have enough opinions about what the dinner was for in the first place. To it was for apparently it's for scholarships. Well, what I, I think that, it was
1: just to honor journalism. And no,
2: they of, said they hand out scholarships and to
1: celebrate free speech and to celebrate you know. But it's like, I, listen, if everyone's gonna flip the fuck out and spend cycles on it no matter what happens, then I, it's like don't do it. Then you know, like yeah. I, I'm I, my mindset sometimes is like, hey, that thing that's really pissing you off. Maybe we just don't do it and everyone doesn't yell at each other. So we find something else to yell at. Sounds good to me. Um, But uh, good luck with the rest of your press day. Thank you so and much for
2: having me. This oh my God! Are so you kidding? Fun. Of course. Right. And I'd I love, love that we just seamlessly went into the conversation. But I caught myself before I said something, and that I would, would never have angered people. And
1: I would, if you ever wanted anything cut out, you could just say like I don't want to say that. It
2: wasn't anymore. racist. I just want to say it wasn't racist. <laughs> okay, that's the one thing I want <laughs> to make clear: it wasn't racist. Word.
1: Okay, good, 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 good. Uh, well, that's it. That's the end of the podcast. The official end. There was no official beginning, but this is the official end. This, you could keep on talking, Katie will just fade it out. <laughs> and so. Like a, like a song, no one knows. This reminds end. me of a story that is long and enjoy your burrito. id 10
2: scanning skinning complete. Enjoy your burrito.
1: I have missed these Friday night dinners. Mm.
2: Hey, welcome to Harvey Graff!
1: at these family dinners Gracious,
2: everyone.
1: Dysfunction is served I can't have you all messing things up for my entire adult life Oh, I'm sorry, do we embarrass you?
2: Jump, jump, jump! jump. jump. Dinner next Friday,
1: everyone. What miss for the world? What? Dinner with the parents, season one. Stream free only on Freevee.